As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Tuesday, April 26th. It is Prospect Tuesday, Future Tuesday. Uh, We're still working on the names. We're workshopping those. But Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior as we do each and every Tuesday looking at prospect-related news, looking at players that are important to us in Keeper in Dynasty Leagues, digging deep, trying to find some uh, under- the Radar Players, for lack of a better description. Kind of a funny description, <laughs> given that we have a show called Under the Radar on this feed. But uh, lots of ground to cover, as we have each and every week, Al. And we begin this week with prospect news, some good news about Adley Rutschman. He has started a rehab assignment. I think it's a simple question. Once he's ready to go, once he's a part of the Orioles lineup, which shouldn't be that long. We're probably talking just a couple of weeks now before he makes the highly anticipated big league debut. Where do you anticipate ranking Rutschman among catchers? Is he going to be an immediate impact guy in even single catcher redraft leagues? Because the minor league tracker to me at least suggests that something like that is possible. Yeah, I think it is possible. Obviously not a given, but I I would say that he should be on the radar uh, in those you know shallower formats for catchers uh like 12 team one catcher leagues i mean maybe you know you give like the absolute shallowest maybe like a 10 teamer uh i think you're looking at a possibility there because just for an example if you go and you look at streamers uh rest of season projections i believe they've got rutschman 12th and their projection projection for rutschman strikes me as pretty much on the nose of what I would expect. And again, I'm coming from memory here, so probably have some of these numbers a little bit off, but you know, like a 250-ish average, uh, you know, maybe like 12 to 14 home runs. Seems like a reasonable thing to expect from him if he's up in the next few weeks. And that those kinds of numbers would make him, you know, if if not in the top 12, certainly on the cusp of it with the upside, I think that you would want him rostered over uh, anybody else who's on that cusp. Yeah, I just think the the catcher position, it tails off very quickly. I, mean, I go back to my original ranks for the 2022 season. You've got Sal Perez and Will Smith and JT Real Muto kind of as the, the clear big three. And then Yasmani Grandal, not too far behind them. Wilson Contreras kind of in that next cluster. Uh, Dalton Varsho, for me at least, was with, within the top 10. I think even still, I, I'd, I'd keep him there. And then 
you could probably start making a case for someone like Rutschman once he's up. So I think single catcher play is absolutely there. There might be some shallow leagues where because of the injury he was dropped and I'd be pretty excited to pick him up. And I think it's something you'd have to do sooner rather than later because I think as the progress occurs with this rehab assignment, he will be scooped up in any of those leagues. I mean, the things that stand out to me, of course, are the things that stand out to everybody last year between AA and AAA. Adley Rutschman once again ran a double-digit walk rate, kept the K rate under 20% at both of those stops, uh, finished at AAA with a 312-405-490 line, hit 23 combined home runs between those two levels, and 18 of those did come at AA, uh, but he spent almost twice as much time at that level that he did at AAA. So I think it's all systems go once he is, in fact, deemed healthy by the Orioles here in the next few weeks. Uh Going the other direction, news-wise, Bryson Stott was optioned to AAA by the Phillies. This wasn't impossible when you started to think about Bryson Stott back on draft day, and uh, he's not the kind of prospect, not the top, you know, top twenty-five sort of guy where you feel good about his chances of coming up and, and sticking. The numbers were not great in the nine games that he played: a thirty-two point three percent K rate, three point two percent walk rate, a pretty bad slash line in there as well. I think Stott is probably going to be given a, a few weeks at AAA, barring an injury in the Phillies infield, because he didn't spend that much time at that level last year. Uh, most of last season was spent at AA. As you pointed out in the show, the Phillies affiliate at AA, Reading, is a very hitter-friendly environment, so you have to be very careful taking offensive numbers from that particular team and expecting too much as a result of an uptick in power. And we saw an uptick in power from Stott, but he'd shown he'd shown some pop at previous levels. Uh, so all this is to say, I, in redraft leagues, I think he's an easy drop. You know, in NL-only leagues, he goes on the reserve list. Are you interested, though, in this profile to the point where you are trying to make a move for him in longer-term formats where he either becomes available because he gets dropped or because you could actually go make a trade for him and possibly you know, deal a player that's getting current playing time to get the playing time from Stott in the future? Yeah, if you're in that position where you have the depth uh, to, to trade away a, a player who's who's active and contributing uh, in order to get Stott. I think that's a really good move to make. I have to admit that Stott is one of these players where I, I have to defer to the, the scouting experts because, as you were alluding to, the minor league numbers haven't been overly impressive. Like you mentioned, uh, and as we allude to on an earlier episode, that uh, not a lot of power output uh, at the time he spent at Reading. But he's not spent a lot of time at any particular level. Uh, Reading was was his longest stop, 80 games there. So you, you look across the board, and I mean, the thing that he's done pretty much everywhere he's gone is draw a lot of walks. He's never had a, a really uh, a really low strikeout rate, but also not one that looks like it's a, it's a liability. But yeah, the power has kind of waxed and waned uh, as he's moved up the ladder. So uh, I just have to kind of take the word of the scouts that he'll he'll grow into the power and uh, you know continue to be somebody who could who could hit for average and get on base. So I, I think yeah, if, if I've uh, got surplus in the league or maybe I, I'm looking towards next year in a dynasty format, that uh, I, I'd be willing to take the risk that Stock gets it together in, in AAA and. If not this year, certainly you know next year becomes a contributor for uh, for the Phillies and for fantasy. Yeah, because with the Phillies right now, Alec Bohm is hitting enough to play a lot, so that's kind of secured his playing time. And even with Didi Gregorius a little bit banged up with a hand injury, 
Johan Camargo has been picking up a lot of extra time at shortstop. So I think rather than let Stott be a part-time player right now, giving him the everyday playing time was more of a priority. But I'm with you. I think in a longer-term league, I'm still interested. I don't know if there is a, a star-level sort of upside, but I think he's a does-everything-well sort of player that in that park and with a good lineup around him could actually end up being a, a better player than expected for fantasy purposes because those counting stats end up being really nice when it's all said and done. And maybe with that OBP, he ends up becoming a table setter. I think that's at least uh, one possibility for him as he continues his development. Let's go over to Cleveland, where Richie Palacios has been called up by the Guardians. Stephen Kwan, day-to-day, at least as of Monday afternoon. We'll see what happens as the, the week rolls on, but uh, he's got a hamstring injury for what it's worth. Uh, Palacios, though, it's an average and OBP with speed profile. At least that's what it's been so far in the minors. A 142 WRC plus last year at AA, 139 with the move up to AAA. And I think what many people are hoping to hear, he was 23 for 26 in 117 combined games now in stolen bases going back to the start of last season. So we need players like Richie Palacios in the pool. I think the main question here is what could the role actually look like, assuming that Quan's not headed to the IL, which is probably a dangerous assumption to make at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. It looks like there's not really an everyday spot for him so long as Quan, Miles Straw, and Oscar Mercado are healthy since you've got Fran Mil Reyes working as the, the everyday DH right now. So is this sort of an up-and-down situation for Palacios, maybe someone to put more on the watch list? I think so. Uh, and I, I think really uh, Palacio deserves a close watch in this uh, Guardian situation, deserves a close watch in the in the near term because Mercado's not playing every day. Uh, so maybe what we're going to see is something that's like more like a rotation, which in a way would not be great for Palacio, maybe wouldn't be great for Mercado. But that that is one possibility. But yeah, I think because of the timing with that Quan injury, it just seems like Palacio is filling uh, just a short-term fill-in right now. And maybe that's going to be his role for the near future. So, you know, he'll call up when when the Guardians need that extra outfielder. But I, I, I think that in AL-only leagues where oftentimes it's just hard to get anybody who looks like they even have the potential to be a regular contributor, that he needs to be picked up there and stashed. Because, I, again, my expectation is that Palacio will, Palacios will go back down. Uh, but I'd be willing to stash him. And yeah, otherwise, I think we're we're looking at a watch list situation. I guess the, the easiest path for him is to share a role or take a role from Oscar Mercado. I mean, Mercado right now, as play begins on Tuesday, is hitting 196 with a 196 OBP, a 451 slugging percentage. So he's popped three homers, but he's got 13 strikeouts and he hasn't drawn a walk. That is concerning, and I think the way these two guys could maybe coexist within a spot is Mercado, as a righty, could be on the small side of platoon. Palacios is a lefty. He could play on the big side of platoon. So it's not out of the question that Palacios sticks, but I, I just think it's a question of how patient the Guardians are going to be with Oscar Mercado, who's suddenly 27 years old. I guess that, that one is... a. Uh, Time is getting away from me sort of player when I see that. I can't believe he's already 27. But uh, Palacios, I think, absolutely worth a pickup in AL-only leagues and a watchlist player for me in deeper mixed leagues, just kind of going through this week to see if he does find a way to hang on to this roster. Uh, one thing that really caught me by surprise is I was flipping through some leaderboards on Monday, Al. Julio Rodriguez was second only to Jorge Mateo in stolen bases this season. 
not something I expected, even though Julio Rodriguez was what, 16 for 20 as a base dealer in 46 games. I believe that was at the double-A level last year where he did that. I mean, this is this is strange to me that he's doing this right away, only because I have this perhaps misguided expectation that great players that come into the league that have speed don't always give us stolen bases right away, even if they're capable of doing it. It seems like every, everything else has to come first for a player's offensive profile before they start taking off on the base paths. Yeah, I, and I make the same assumption, and so I had the exact same reaction as you uh, looking at that leaderboard and literally doing a double take. Am I, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? And the cool thing is that Rodriguez is showing up on another leaderboard that is always eye-catching to me when I see somebody who doesn't, you know, whose name I'm not expecting to see there. And that's the exit velocity on flies and liners, which for me is probably my favorite uh, indicator, my go-to indicator for raw power. And right now that leaderboard, as you wouldn't be surprised to find out, is being led by Juan Soto, Aaron Judge, who's perennially, you know, in the top three or so. He's number two, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., number three, Julio Rodriguez, number four. So if you can just start to make more contact, elevate the ball a little bit more and pull the ball. You know, it's it's not a big ask. You know, I'm asking him to make three big changes, but uh, <laughs> he has yet to pull a fly ball and he's not hitting that many fly balls and he's not making that much contact. So just incremental improvements in, in those areas could really pay off huge. Yeah, I think what it boils down to for me is everything that we were told about Rodriguez and the underlying numbers generally looks like it's there. I think when you just age for level and start thinking about how difficult it is to make these adjustments, especially at his age, it it all lines up. It's just a question of how quickly is it going to come together or how patient are the Mariners going to be. I think I think he's showing more in these underlying numbers than Jared Kelnick was showing in his first run with the Mariners last year. So I think that bodes well for Rodriguez's chances to keep playing for several weeks before the Mariners look at him and say, hey, you know what? We do need you to bring the Ks down. We're going to give you some time at AAA, and then we're going to bring you back in a few weeks if and when everything falls into place. So for now, it looks like it's it's fine. And I think the speed has been the one thing that's probably kept people from reserving Rodriguez in a lot of redraft leagues. I think he was probably teetering on the brink of lineups a couple of weeks into his big league career. And if you saw that speed, you probably talked yourself into leaving him in there as your last outfielder. And at least in that category, You've been rewarded so far. Since we last spoke out, Roenzi Contreras was optioned to AAA. I, I just can't explain it. I, I think this Pirates <laughs> team, they gave up 21 runs to the Cubs on Saturday, which is a lot. Uh, I, I don't know how you can justify sending a guy like that down because you can stretch him out in the big leagues in the role he was in if you want to. So um, I'm at a crossroads with him in some mixed leagues where I look at him and I want to stash him and wait on him to come back because why can't they bring him back? Like there's there's no one actually blocking him from being on the big league roster and having a regular rotation spot, which was surprising enough to begin the season. I can understand not giving him a rotation spot from day one because you might have a season-long workload that you're hoping that he's going to hit. But this is where I'd throw out my caution that you should flip it and burn the innings now so that way if the player gets hurt, you're not scrambling to make up for the lost time later through... AFL innings or, or whatever it might be. Uh, so is Ronzi Contreras a hold for you in deeper mixed redraft leagues while he spends some time inexplicably at AAA? 
<laughs> he he absolutely does, and I'd say a bigger worry for me about him, uh, rather than you know just him staying down in AAA, is whether or not he'll just go right back to that long relief role, which he could you know given how he was pitching, he could have some value in that role. But obviously, yeah, much much better value actually being a starter. And it is curious that the Pirates are they they seem to be just about the only team that are behaving the way teams would have behaved, you know, before this season in terms of uh, holding players back, uh, you know, maybe service time manipulation. Um, but, you know, while everybody else is either uh, bringing, bringing up their prospects or already had the prospects up, uh, the, the Pirates are sort of behaving, you know, like it's still 2021. So uh, those things concern me for Contreras, but I still think, you know, that that notwithstanding, he's still worthy of, uh, of stashing. Pirates gonna pirate. I think Contreras and <laughs> Corbin Martin are the two guys, and I think at this point, I mean, I like Contreras's skills a little bit better, being that he's a couple years younger. But they're two guys that I look at. I look at the teams they're on. I look at the usage. Martin got optioned and then recalled. I think Sean Pop and someone else went on the IL, so they brought Martin back. But just the fact that they were willing to option Corbin Martin in the first place seems a little weird. Like that they're not as into the idea of him being a starter as I might be. So I'm sitting here like reassessing, oh, these leagues where I've stashed Corbin Martin, it's probably time to move on and, and stash someone else. I'm curious if uh, when you see a team doing something like this, if it changes your perception of what to do. Like If a team is messing with a player's status on the roster or messing with his role the way Arizona's messing with Corbin Martin, do you have to lower your own expectations because their evaluation appears to be different than yours? Uh, well, the, you know, this is a, a question that I had to actually deal with in the past week when uh, the Diamondbacks sent Martin down because uh, I did have him in my 2014 Dynasty League and I did cut him when that happened. And, you know, so as you're talking about this, I think, okay, well, why am I doing this with Martin? And I'm saying that I wouldn't recommend doing that with Contreras. And I think it's partly my own expectation, seeing how the organization is dealing with Martin. And then I think it's also my perception of what my fellow managers are thinking that Martin has, you know, struggled in the, in the recent past uh, that I think, you know, he's more post hype than current hype. And so I'm taking a gamble that, you know, there were, there were some pictures that I wanted to add. So I figure, okay, well, if I cut Martin, I don't think anybody's going to scoop him up. And so far, nobody has. So far, so good. In that case, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess the thing, I, if, if it were up to me and I had someone else that was uh, I was working with in the front office or a few someone else's I was working with and, and everyone said, we see Martin as more of an up and down long reliever for us right now. And I'd say, are we sure he's not a tandem starter with Tyler Gilbert at the very least? Are we, are we sure we don't want to use Zach Davies as a long reliever and let Corbin Martin start since we're probably not going to the playoffs this year? You know, let's just try the development path and and maximize innings for the the younger guy that might be better. So far, no luck there. So I've had to limit my interest in Martin at the present time, at least, to NL only leagues, and hopefully. Uh, hopefully we'll see him get a chance in the rotation soon. Uh, Vidal Brujan was called up and then sent back down since we last spoke. And I'm just worried he's becoming an up and down guy because of the raised depth, not because of his own skills or limitations. I think there's at least a, a healthy number of non-contending teams that would play Vidal Brujan a lot. 
maybe on a competitive team, maybe other teams like the Rays, though, are teams that would not necessarily make Bruhan an everyday guy. I think that's got to be at least part of the thinking here if you've got Bruhan on your roster in a long-term league right now. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I can't help but wonder if maybe that that perception will change if Josh Lowe continues to struggle. Um, but given how the, the Rays have dealt with Bruhan both all, so far this year and then last year as well, it's I have to admit that I'm I'm disposed to think that they're going to give Lowe uh, a, a pretty long look there and not you know basically flip their flip their places on the depth chart. So it's just a situation to watch, but I don't think there's any reason to, yeah, at this point to think that, that Bruhan's going to uh, settle into a regular role anytime soon. Bruhan's numbers at AAA in the very limited time he's been there to start this season look pretty similar to last year. Nice low K rate, under 15%, walking a lot, stealing some bases, uh, not showing as much power as he did early last season, but it's only about a handful of games so far. Uh, still looks like a guy that could end up being traded I, as the Rays try and retool that roster. Glenn Otto rejoined the Rangers rotation after starting the season at AAA. I know he's someone that pops in the Eno Saris pitching model. So if you're looking for pitching in a mixed league, I think Eno's suggestion on rates and barrels was that Glenn Otto could actually be 12-team mixed league relevant. So that's a pretty high level of praise for a guy that had a good strikeout-to-walk ratio in his debut last year with the Rangers, but posted some pretty ugly ratios. Yeah, uh, I can see that. I could definitely see where, where Eno is saying that uh, because of the the good strikeout to to walk ratios that he's posted in the minors, and then you know last year up with the Rangers making six starts, and <laughs> I mean just you talk about small sample stats, a forty five point nine percent strand rate, which is just I mean something beyond bad luck. Uh, it's very rare that you see anything below 60% and even 60% uh, should make you kind of take pause and think that there's going to be some positive regression coming. So uh, yeah, I I picked Otto up at a couple of deeper leagues and I think he could be somebody who, like you say, or like Eno says, uh, could become relevant in shallower and shallower leagues uh, the, the deeper he pitches into the season. I know he's got a tough matchup against the Astros, not as tough as it ordinarily would be with Jose Altuve on the IL and, of course, some departures there. So maybe maybe a lineup that you, you don't want to face, but you're not necessarily sitting everyone against or sitting most of your starters against at this point with some of the things that have changed. Uh, Nick Allen getting a look for the A's right now. Uh, Elvis Andrews has missed some time recently. I don't think Nick Allen is going to be an impactful player for our purposes. I think he might be a better real-life player than fantasy player, and if he exceeds expectations for me, it's probably because he's stealing plenty of bases. I think that's the one category where if everything falls into place because he can get on base and because he's on a rebuilding team, that could be the path for Nick Allen to end up on rosters maybe later on this season. I don't know if this is even really going to be a permanent stay for him in the big leagues, given that he spent very little time at AAA, and even though he was hitting to begin this season, I'm not convinced he hits enough to actually stick in the lineup every day. Yeah, he's off to a slow start, so he's certainly not not helping himself in that regard. But yeah, the stolen bases are definitely, it's a reason why I did draft him in my AL-only league this year. And so right now, because he's playing, he's actually starting in that league. <laughs> Getting back to what I was saying earlier, that you have somebody who's contributing anything, they usually should be starting in an AL-only league. Uh, but yeah, I have the same concerns that, um, you know, once there's not a need for him to play a lot, that he'll probably go back to AAA. Um, 
but uh, you know, I'll, I'll stash them when that happens. It's funny how that works, though. I mean, it doesn't take much to stick in Oakland right now with uh, the quality of that roster. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's move on to a rookie leaderboard. We're going to take a look at zone contact percentages. We're going to focus on those for starters and relievers. So we're looking at pitchers this week, focused on hitters last week with O swing percentages and some of the numbers on on swings inside the zone, uh, kind of putting the shoe on the other foot, if you will. And just to add some context here for a moment, a top 10 mark, if you're looking at non-rookies for a qualified starter, is usually right around 80%. For his own contact percentage, give or take a couple percentage points. And for a reliever, usually about 75% is a top 10 mark. At the top of that leaderboard, Josh Hader, Rysel Iglesias last year, they were just under 70%. They were 1-2 and two among relievers last season. Um, so if you take a look at zone contact rates right now for this current group of relievers, these rookie relievers, a few names really jump off the page. Steven Wilson... I think you and I may have talked about on one of the episodes recently, comes in at 62.5%. He's been great so far for San Diego. And if they hadn't made that late trade for Taylor Rogers, we might be talking about Steven Wilson as someone who emerged to come out of nowhere to get saves this season. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and all, you know, already immediately has uh, impact in saves and holds leagues. Any kind of uh, format that's going to reward relievers for things other than saves. And yeah, maybe he'll vulture a few saves here and there. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's just been completely dominant so far. It's really uh, remarkable. Now, one guy that used to be a Padre, now a Mariner, that definitely pops on this list. And it's not surprising when you've watched him pitch. Andres Munoz, 50% K rate so far for Andres Munoz. Only six innings. But if you're looking for the young reliever that could emerge from a committee situation in Seattle to eventually be the perennial 30 plus saves guy. I think Andres Munoz is where you would place those wagers. I think so. Yeah. I think we uh, have maybe uh, under underplayed his appeal, uh, but you know, it's such a crowded bullpen and I've, I've talked uh, multiple times uh, about how I thought that Paul Seawald would, would emerge. And I still think that that could happen. I mean, it's just a really good deep bullpen and, uh, Munoz is is on a par with anyone there. Yeah, as I look through this uh, this leaderboard, there's a few other names that stick out. I mean, Johan Duran at 69% for his own contact percentage. Not surprising given the the filthiness we've seen from him to this point. I think it's just a question of how many saves is he going to find in Minnesota. It looks like right now Emilio Pagan is their preferred 
larger share of the committee option. So anything that Duran picks up might be more of the scrap save variety. They all count the same. Uh, but I do think it makes Duran a tougher player to roster if your league does not reward hold. Still a player that I like quite a bit in, in the long term. Uh, Joe Barlow comes in at 74.2%. I think the Rangers closer situation is still one of the more unsettled situations. They haven't had that many save opportunities in the first place. I think Matt Bush got one uh, over the weekend. Uh, but Barlow has pitched pretty well. 34.8% K rate so far, 4.3% walk rate. So both both of those numbers headed in the right direction after a low K rate and a somewhat elevated walk rate uh, were a part of the debut for him last year with the Rangers. I think the, the problem has been the long ball. There was a save opportunity for Barlow that I was watching maybe the first week of the season, turned it on, and it was uh, immediate game-tying home run, and then he struck out the side. I was like, oh, well, this is this doesn't help me. This is like one bad pitch <laughs> that got punished, and then he looked great. So uh, the larger sample as the tiny sample grows actually looks more encouraging than discouraging if you've been waiting it out with Joe Barlow. Yeah, and yeah, that's one of those things where it's it's a bummer when it happens, but you could also just take it as a good sign that he got left in the game, he he regained his composure. I mean, I I try to take take away the positive from that kind of situation. And like you said, the rest of his profile, you know, albeit with a, a relatively small number of pitches, a very small number of innings, really impressive. I mean, just a big step forward from the uh, the numbers that he put up last year across the board. So Texas was a uh, closer situation that I was avoiding because I just, aside from the fact that it just it looked unsettled, I didn't really like any of the candidates that were in that mix. But uh, if Barlow's available, I think he's he's worth speculating on at this point just with the profile that he's created uh, in these early innings. One of the reliever that sits right in that same range with a 74.2% zone contact percentage right now, Dylan Coleman in Kansas City. The Royals going back to... Last season are one of those teams, Al. I feel like I have no confidence in predicting where and when the members of their committee will get saves. That is fair. That we've seen uh, Josh Damont uh, pick up uh, some saves, uh, and yeah, Coleman definitely has a profile where he could fit right in there too. So it's an unfortunate situation. It's great again if you're in saves and holds. Um, then that that's another candidate to be considering. But uh, in terms of saves, there just might not be anybody that that can uh, take the baton and, and run with it here. But I, I will say, by the way, just, you know, if, if you check out this leaderboard for yourself or you're uh, just paying attention to the, the pictures that we're discussing here, this is a great place to do some scouting. If you're in score sheet, score sheet has supplemental drafts uh, this week. Uh, formats like that where uh, non-closers have a lot of value um, Stephen Wilson may be out there in, mm -hmm. in those leagues. Uh, you know the, these other pitchers we're mentioning. Somebody else who I think we we may get around to talk about Jake Cousins, who not only is putting up really great numbers this year, but put up great numbers last year too. Uh, and he's just not going to have value in a, a traditional fantasy league because of that that hater guy. You know, so um, <laughs> mm. it's it's always good in formats to, to target uh, you know pitchers like Cousins. Yeah, double blocked. If you're in the Brewers bullpen, you've got Hader and Devin Williams both uh, pretty firmly entrenched uh, as the options to close out games. And Devin Williams is just waiting for his chance right now, too. So it's going to be a while if you're a couple seats away. 
The starters on this list are, are pretty interesting. Not surprisingly, Hunter Green doing pretty well in this metric. 74.6% zone contact percentage to this point. And again, that'd be very low for a full season mark for a starter. Um, we don't really expect it to stay there, but I think it it gets us excited about the future possibilities. The thing that I have said each time I've looked at Hunter Green is I just want to see the fastball location over time this season become a little bit more consistent where it's not middle-middle because those mistakes eventually will catch up to him. But uh, as far as your exciting young pitchers to watch in the big leagues, Hunter Green is borderline must-see TV right now. He is, and and pretty close to must-start. I think you know this week you, you could have made a pretty strong argument to, to sit him because his next start is in Colorado. Uh, I think sometimes... Uh, he may be even a little, little bit scary to start at home because that's, you know, Great American Ballpark's not a great venue either for pitchers. But uh, long ball aside, yeah, there there's little reason to be uh, not starting Hunter Green. You look at the matchups to this point. I mean, he opened with the Cardinals. I should say he opened with the Braves on the road. Then he went to the Dodgers. Then caught St. Louis at home for his first home start as a member of the Reds. I mean, it's been a pretty tough first three starts for Hunter Green. And he's, he's held his own. I know the ratios haven't been great, but strikeouts have absolutely been there. 16 Ks and 13 and two-thirds innings so far for Hunter Green. Uh, not surprisingly, Ronzi Contreras also on this leaderboard. I think I made my feelings about what I think he could do pretty clear a little while ago. Glenn Otto pops up on here with his first start of the season at 78.9%. Uh, Spencer Strider kind of stuck in between roles right now. 81.6% for his zone contact percentage, Al. I'm starting to get worried, though, with Spencer Strider. The command could be a limiting factor. If he gets that opportunity in the rotation, sure, that's great for us. If you've been stashing him and been hoping for that, that's still what you want. But I wonder if he's going to be a frustrating player from start to start because he might have some issues consistently getting through five innings without some improvement on the command front. Well, I'm glad I'm not alone on this DVR because we've talked about him on this up, you know, this weekly episode a lot. He's you know come up on a lot of episodes of this podcast just generally, and I've been pretty consistent in saying, yeah, he's he's worth a stash. Just you know, wait it out until uh, when and if he gets that opportunity to be a starter. And I, I on the last fab, I just kind of gave up. I didn't make him a contingent bid or anything because as he's getting more innings, the, the indicators are getting less and less impressive. And you knew there was going to be some regression. But as of right now, his CSW called in, in swinging strike rate combined is 26.9%. That's really mediocre. Uh, zone contact, uh, 81.6%, uh, which, yeah, it's for a reliever. I mean, you, you've, you've talked about the benchmarks for that. It's good. It's not, it's not good enough for me to say, oh man, I can't wait for this guy to to get into a, a better role for fantasy uh, because these indicators are just blowing me away. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the numbers that come from the, the Eno Saris Pitching Plus model and in terms of just raw stuff, which is you know, velocity and movement on his pitches, Spencer Strider has the fourth best stuff number of any pitcher on the report. That's been the case, I think, pretty much the entire time that Spencer Strider is been in the conversation this year he's got below average location numbers and the other guys that have stuff that good and location that's below average tend to be relievers like that's the problem I think you're looking at right now it doesn't mean it's not fixable I mean if you're if you're that good anything's possible I just think we may have some frustration along the way while the role gets ironed out and while the skills have to kind of find their level 
Uh, the last name I want to throw out there, Joe Ryan, also jumping into this range, 81.8% uh, for his zone contact rate. And I think with Joe Ryan, I've wanted to see what the encore looks like. And I'm trying to decide, like, what is, what's a benchmark for me where I can say, I believe in Joe Ryan. It's not eight total big league starts. It was five last year, three so far this year. But are we maybe a month away if, if Ryan keeps doing something similar to what he's been doing to this point? You know, strikeout for inning stuff, good walk rate, not a major home run issue. Even if the ERA, I and mean, it's not going to stay at 169, that's just, that's throw that out the window. But if he's a 350 ERA guy with a good whip and we're sitting here at the end of May, maybe a month from now, is it going to be a point where you're comfortable buying in the rest of the way on Joe Ryan as someone who's just better than we thought? Yeah, I, I feel like I'm I'm pretty much there. Uh, you know, we got a, a question on the the Friday waiver show about whether or not Ryan uh, is a must start pitcher. You know, when what do you need to see? Like you're you're saying now, what sort of benchmark do you need to see? And I I do worry. I mean, he's got something really weird in his profile so far, which is a sub 200 career BABIP rate. Mm-hmm. And I I cannot think of an example you know, scanning for, you know, through the years of a pitcher who was, was be great instead of just being merely good because that pitcher did not allow line drives. And yet that's what Joe Ryan did in AAA. And that's what he's done in two small parts of, of major league seasons so far. So I, I don't, I'm not really trusting that. And I, I think that when you see regression there, you are going to see a pitcher who's going to be more of a streamer. Um, and that, you know, that's fine. I mean, a streamer worth streaming off your bench as opposed to, you know, letting him go on waivers. I think Ryan is is a pitcher worth rostering, but I still do have some doubts about him being a, a set it and forget it guy. So here's a trivia question. I'm going to give you a one in 1000 chance of getting this right. Since 2000, among qualified pitchers, what pitcher has the lowest BABIP? Uh, since 2000? Going all the way back to 2000. And we're talking about a career a career Babbitt. I'm going to say Chris Young. <laughs> it's not It's not Chris Young. Not a bad guess. It's Troy Percival. Oh, never would have guessed that. Percival ran a 231 Babbitt from 2000 forward. So 385 innings. It is a lot of relievers that are at the top of that list. Troy Percival at 231. Tyler Clippert at 240. Natalie Felice at 242. Armando Benitez, 246. Pat Neshek, 247. Oh, John Means, the first starter in here at 249. So that's just not a place where that number settles. So you know you're going to get a change there from Joe Ryan. That's fine. That helps explain part of why his ERA is so low. He's been very fortunate on balls in play so far. He's also got a 98.4% left on base percentage in his first three starts this season. And he was kind of unlucky the other way in the five starts he made for the Twins last year, 58.4%. So that's also chipping away at the ratios right now. So I think even if you want to put him in the outstanding BABIP category, if you want to say he's going to somehow be John Means or Jack Flaherty or Zach Plesak, who are the more recent starters who've run 250-ish BABIPs, it's tough to live there. It's a really tough place to be. But maybe John Means from a, an overall profile 
standpoint. I realize Means is a lefty, Ryan's a righty. I'm just talking about underlying skills. Maybe that's a fair place to expect Ryan to go. And Means has done it with fewer Ks than Ryan has so far. A good walk rate, which I think is the skill that I probably trust the most for Joe Ryan. And in part because of Camden Yards and the way that park played prior to this season and elevated home run rate. So when you count for target field and some of the differences there, okay, like that. If you told me right now, Joe Ryan is a right handed John Means, I could agree to that. Yeah, I'd be I'd be happy with that. And I, I think there is more strikeout upside there from what we've seen both in the majors and the minors. So, you, yeah, hard to argue with that. <laughs> Let's take a spin around some trending players. Luis Campusano up to a 9% roster rate on CBS back up in San Diego for now. I I can't figure out why he's not more of a priority for them. I know they've got a lot of catching depth. Part of that depth is, is gone with Victor Caratini getting flipped to the Brewers right before the start of the season. But every single time I look at his profile, Al, I wonder if the Padres aren't actually playing their best catcher at the big league level. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I uh, read the write-up on MLB.com about his call-up, and there was uh, some mention there of it. That the organization is becoming happier with his defensive play. So that may be a, a part of the answer to that you know, very puzzling question of why he's not more of a priority. Uh, but uh, even in terms of this current stint, uh, it sounds like the plan is more to use him at more DH than behind the plate. And uh, as the smaller side of a platoon uh, with Matt Beatty. So it's still pretty puzzling. <laughs> and, and as somebody who's pretty uh, heavily invested in Austin Nola in, in a lot of leagues, um, you know, part of me hopes that it stays this way. But yeah, part of me wonders at what point maybe does Nola get moved to a, a smaller role? Because I'm not sure what the reason is to keep Campusano, uh, Campusano either down in the minors or in a uh, limited role in the majors. Yeah, I think at this point, I'm looking at that situation, Campusano maybe on the radar for two catcher leagues as we start looking ahead to weekend waivers. We'll see what the next you know six days actually brings before making that decision. Uh, but I could see it being a small role now that grows into something larger if he hits, given the needs for offense in San Diego. Tristan Cassis, the first base prospect of the Red Sox, ticking up in terms of roster rates, now up above 30% on CBS, and I think it's probably the result of Bobby Dahlbeck being in a bit of a slump through his first 15 games. Dahlbeck has just one homer so far. He's hitting 179 with a 220 or 233 OBP and a 286 slugging percentage. The silver lining, if you happen to have Bobby Dahlbeck on your roster, the K rate's down 26.7%. That's an improvement from where he was last year. It's more in line with what he was doing, I think, in August and September of last season. Uh, meanwhile, Cassis at AAA right now. We haven't done a AAA level check overall, but hitting 262 with a 395 OBP, 508 slugging, four homers in 17 games there. Looking like he's not far away from possibly receiving that opportunity. It's just a question of when do the lines intersect? When does Boston feel like they want to give Cassis a look and, and play Bobby Dahlbeck less potentially? Yeah, I mean, it seems like that move could be you know, could theoretically be made at any time, but you know, because Dahlback is, you know, yeah, like you said, he's in the slump, but also not, you know, it's not like a Bryson Stott level slump where mm. you think that uh, a change would need to be made yesterday. So I, I think because of that, that if I talk about prospects who are priorities to stash, Casas for me isn't really at the top of that list, uh, you know, like uh, say Grayson Rodriguez or, or Max Meyer. Um, but yeah, maybe the next level. 
uh, we we all have limited number of spots to to be you know stashing prospects. But if uh, some of the other ones are are spoken for, I, I don't think it's a bad idea to stash Casas at this point. Speaking from the perspective of the Mister Peanut Butter optimist, if the prospects you prefer to stash are being stashed by someone else, it sounds like you're saying Tristan Casas is stashable. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> that is the way you could put it. All right. See, it's good. It's good to be the optimist once in a while. Usually, I'm uh, I'm not. Uh, Nolan Gorman up over thirty percent rostered as well. I think the problem right now, if you're looking for a problem, is the strikeout rate is a bit high. He's at AAA, obviously very young for the level, uh, showing a ton of power. Eight home runs now in fifteen games. Thirty two point three percent K rate. It's trending in the right direction. He's hitting the ball in the air a ton. That's going to happen when you have eight homers in 15 games. I think the question now is Tommy Edmonds off to a pretty good start, and I know they can move him around if they want to. So how will the Cardinals possibly fit Nolan Gorman in? Is is Gorman, I mean, Gorman versus Casas? You can only stash one right now in a mixed league. Who do you think is closer to helping you? Well, I think Gorman. For sure. I do see a clearer path for Gorman to get on the major league roster there. And uh, he's just making a case right now uh, to be brought up as soon as possible. Uh, but, you know, between Corey Dickerson uh, and, you know, I don't know, yeah, Tommy, Adman, I don't think he's going anywhere, but uh, maybe, you know, play him in the outfield a little bit. I think there's a combination of moving pieces there and, uh, you know, the presence of Dickerson in that lineup that you could, you could see a path there for uh for Gorman so uh for yeah he would be one of those players that I was referring to even though I didn't refer to him by name that might make you wait on uh on on stashing Casas yeah looking at Dylan Carlson's slow start too and it's Mm -hmm. too early for them to make a move with him but if what he's done for the first three weeks becomes a a six-week problem maybe it's Carlson going down for a little while at first Edmund playing more in the outfield, Gorman coming up. I think in the Corey Dickerson situation, I think Pujols is playing more than I expected as their DH. I thought he was going to be really a strict small side platoon player, but he's getting a decent amount of playing time. They do have some flexibility because of of what Dickerson has struggled to do to this point. Only 30 plate appearances, though, for Corey Dickerson. I would have thought uh, if if you gave me the choice of, of 30, 40, 50, 60, for this point in the season, I'd have been closer to 40 or 50 for sure. I, I would have thought mm-hmm. big side platoon for Corey Dickerson, and maybe he would actually do something with that opportunity. Uh, one pitcher among our trending players, Max Meyer, who you mentioned a bit earlier, up over 30% rostered now as well. 36% K rate at AAA through 19 and two-thirds innings. Doesn't seem to have any sort of control issue. Stashability, I mean, if you're looking at Meyer versus Grayson Rodriguez, do you have a strong preference at this point? I don't. I don't. I probably would give Rodriguez uh, uh, the nod just because obviously there there's a place for him in that Orioles rotation. It's just a question of when they want to uh, when they want to move forward with that with the Marlins. I think you're you know you're probably looking more at an, an injury. Uh, otherwise, I think maybe you're just looking at a different role for Elias or Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little strange, you know. Trevor Rogers off to um, definitely a worse start than I think we were all expecting, but I don't don't really expect any movement there. So it's a little tougher to see where Meyer fits in, but it's kind of like the Gorman situation where it's like, he's going to force the issue sooner or later. I also, I look at the Marlins and I think they're a pretty good candidate to use a six man rotation. If they were that. So choose, I mean, like they've got the pitching to do it. It's a lot of younger guys. They've got a few 
injury risk players. I mean, Pablo Lopez is great when he's healthy. Maybe one way of keeping him healthy is just giving a little more rest between starts. Could be a few reasons to consider something like that. Um, I think I'm Rodriguez over Meyer because it's just such a an easy path to look at when you look at the two depth charts. You, you're not wishing for a structural change to create a spot. You're looking at it and going, Rodriguez is better than this guy, and he's better than that guy, and he's better than that guy too. So he's got three or four paths in, whereas Meyer, it's just a matter of maybe waiting for an injury, unfortunately, for the chance to arise. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our level roundup this week is taking a look at low A, and we've got mostly bats. Pete Crow Armstrong seems to be healthy again after an injury last season, doing a little bit of everything, showing power, showing speed, taking walks, putting a lot of balls in play, hitting the ball in the air more often, and he's 7 for 8 as a base stealer as well. A couple home runs so far this season. Uh, a massive turnaround for him just because I, I think one of the the tiny sample takeaways for Pete Crow Armstrong before the injury last year was that he was hitting the ball on the ground a lot. And that led to some immediate questions about how much power he was going to provide. If you were worried about that, 11 games this year doesn't erase it, but this is a very encouraging start for him. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, because like you said, that was the big question. And in just 11 games, uh, six extra base hits, including a couple of home runs. So that on top of the seven steals, uh, <laughs> there's a lot. A lot to love here, so uh, I you know, know how available he would be, and uh, maybe he's out there in some shallow dynasty leagues, and go go check the waivers. Yeah, I mean, not not trying to tell anyone to do anything all that differently, but just if you stashed him away and were disappointed because of the lost time last year and what you saw before he got hurt, you're about twice as optimistic now, just based on this fast start. Uh, Carson Williams, the first rounder of the Rays in July, 28th overall pick in the draft last summer, off to a great start at the low A level as well. He's got a couple of homers. He's got a couple of steals, hitting 383 with a 423 OBP and a 723 slugging percentage to begin his full season career. So just a, just a note, just a, a guy who's off to a great start. I always wonder when you get a late first rounder and you start to get some data after a couple of months and you see... Oh, he's outproducing a bunch of guys that went in the top ten of his draft class. If that, if that's just one of those things that makes you feel validated, like when do you start to feel that as an evaluator? Like, yeah, we were right. We we got a guy that should have gone fifteen picks early. Everybody else screwed up. Probably not two weeks in, but also a nice start for Carson Williams, nonetheless. Brady House, who went eleventh overall to the Nats last summer, Al. 379, 455, 530 line off to a nice start as well. A couple of home runs, keeping the K rate in the low 20% range as well. And then there's Khalil Watson, who I think 
is getting as much buzz as anyone from that draft class on Twitter so far. I think the only real concern you'd have, and it's it's a, it's a short-term concern, I don't think this is going to be an issue for him long, like long-term, he's got a 41.1% K rate right now at low A. He's hitting for power, he's stealing bases, he's hitting the ball in the air, he's drawing some walks, he's got a 7.1% walk rate. It's almost all good. It's just a question of, how long is it going to take him to bring his K rate down? And and I think that's going to ultimately dictate how much time he expends at the low A level this season. Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, it's it's a little concerning. I mean, we're we're now you know about a tenth of the way through the season, so it's uh you know it's not a, a sample that you want to get uh, too panicked about, but it's definitely a concern. Uh, but everything else is there. Yeah, four home runs, three stolen bases. Uh, w- without uh, a lot of hits on balls in play, the the batting average would look kind of scary though. So we'll you know hopefully we'll we'll see a big dip in that K rate as the season goes on. Love the distribution of the batted balls so far. There's the the pull and opposite numbers available over at Fangraphs. Only a 27.6 percent pull rate. It's going the opposite way 34.5 percent of the time. I think that looks really good for a young uh, young hitter like that to be able to hit the ball to all fields. On the pitching front. Another first-rounder from last year, Andrew Painter, off to a fantastic start. He was the Phillies' first-rounder at 13th overall. You might recall he is six foot seven, had four pitches upon being drafted, was already in the high 90s with the fastball, uh, two potentially plus-breaking pitches and a good changeup, all expected at some point. He's got a 30-3 strikeout-to-walk <laughs> ratio in 12 innings at Clearwater. I'm going to venture a guess that he might not stay at Clearwater very long since he seems to be completely overpowering hitters at that level. Yeah, that's that is just unbelievable. So, yeah, uh, I think keep our eyes open for for that promotion and, you know, high A. I mean, once once he reaches there, it's, you know, maybe not that long to reach the majors. So, not this year, of course, but um yeah, pretty incredible start for Painter. Yeah showing the early signs of a pitcher that will move relatively quickly for a high school pitcher, at least. Uh, Our deep sleeper comes from the pitching side for this week. How about Patrick Wicklander? Adam Barry of MB.com had a story about Wicklander when the Rays drafted him in the eighth round last summer, Al. So in 2020, pitching at the University of Arkansas when the season was on pause, uh, Wicklander was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and the story is scary, pretty dire situation. He was feeling ill and dropping a lot of weight and not a lot of time, went to an urgent care facility, and was close to organ failure and a diabetic coma. So he did not, did not know that he had the type 1 diabetes, of course. Fortunately, got everything under control with his health, came back in 2021, became the Friday night starter for Arkansas. Always impressive to have that role for an SEC program like that. And now he's got a 22-0 to K to BB to begin his professional career at low A Charleston this year. So he's a 22-year-old lefty. He's old for the level as a college pitcher. But this could be a guy the Rays found in the eighth round who ends up being yet another interesting arm that they can eventually use. Who knows? Maybe he's used like a regular starter. Maybe he's another Jalen Beeks uh, bulk guy for them. But anytime the Rays can find a gem like that, you know, I think we should be paying attention. Yeah, and not being used as a starter for whatever that's worth uh, at Class A, but uh, you know, going in, in long relief. And given his age, he could move up quickly. And uh, even in a, a long relief role, could have some value. So yeah, it's a good, good call and somebody definitely worth watching. 
Yeah, I just want to see where that strikeout to walk ratio goes as he faces more advanced competition. Fastball, I believe, was 93-94 during his final season at Arkansas. I could not find a, a scouting report with any velo numbers from the early part of this season, but it's something we'll keep an eye out for with Patrick Wicklander in the Rays system. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. If you want to give us a follow, you can find Al on Twitter at AlMilkYourBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. As always, you can drop us questions for the show. Just let us know that it's actually a question for the show by sending us tweets. Or you can email us, fantasypods at theathletic.com is the other way to reach us there. Under the Radar is up on Wednesday. Have a great day. 